Hey guys, it's Melissa Lee here. Hey, I wanted to just give you guys a quick update and let you all know that this upcoming week on July 13th in Chicago, Mysteriously Morbid will be attending the True Crime Podcast Festival located at the Marriott Hotel at the Mag Mile. So come on, join us. I believe there are still tickets available. All you have to do is Google True Crime Podcast Festival Chicago and tickets will appear. We will be there. Myself, Josh Doe, and my mama's going to be with us. So come meet us. We are so excited to connect with some fans. Obviously, we're a newer podcast. So all the support you guys are giving is just a godsend. So we hope to see you guys there. Due to the graphic nature and content of this podcast, listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Mysteriously Morbid. I'm your host, Melissa Lee. Thank you so much for joining me. I hope everyone out there in podcast land is doing well and hanging in there. It is basically the second week of July at this point. Ick, I am not a summer person. I don't know if you are. I'm sorry if you are. I am definitely fall, winter, spring type of gal. I hope everyone had a safe and fun 4th of July. I myself actually stayed up with Josh Doe watching Stranger Things from 2 o'clock in the morning our time to about 9 o'clock, and then I slept all day. So all around not too shabby of a day, didn't have to go outside at all, and it was humid as heck here in the Chicagoland area, so it was just as well. I actually did get to see some fireworks from my apartment. Wasn't that great? Freaks my dogs out. My cat couldn't care less. Hamster couldn't care less. But my two Fur babies just were absolutely horrified. And you know what? I am just not a fan of fireworks. I don't think that people should be firing them off. You know, I'll get off my soapbox. But anyway, for the love of God, my dog's safety and sanity is way more important than you looking at explosives in the sky. I also wanted to give you guys a really quick update about the Brent Christensen case. So obviously he was found guilty of Ying Ying's murder, which thank God, because if he wasn't, I mean, my goodness, what is life? We do not know whether or not he will be getting the death penalty. So like I said, I'll try to keep you guys updated if I can. There was also something that had come out about him maybe getting a deal cut with him if he released where her body is. However, I think that was just kind of like a red herring. They were trying to throw people off about that. And actually, a lot of people had an issue with that. But that's a whole nother topic. Um, But again, found guilty. Thank you, Jesus. So this episode is going to be another current case, um, something that's actually torn from the headlines. It's currently happening. This guy was just arrested. Um, you know, I'm sure everyone has kind of been following it. I know I was following it all over Twitter and I was absolutely heartbroken by the outcome of it. And there's actually some interesting twists and turns about it that I want to get into. So without any further ado, let's jump on into tonight's episode. (music) 
So Mackenzie fell off the grid early last Monday morning. Today, she was supposed to be on a flight to California, but she never made it on board, leaving her friends and family more concerned than ever. Where could she have gone? Her car has not been moved. Things are adding up. Kinsey hasn't been heard from in nearly a week. She's been missing since Monday. The police have said that they have no reason to believe she's in danger. But at this point, it's been seven days. Around one in the morning last Monday, she texted her parents to let them know she landed in Salt Lake safely. She left the airport and took a lift to North Salt Lake, nearly 20 minutes from her home in Salt Lake City. She might have been meeting someone there. Um, I just don't see any other reason as to why she would be there at that time. But from there, Kenzie went silent. For her not to reach out to me, Snapchat, Instagram, anything, is very unlike her, very uncommon. She's usually in touch with me almost every day. So what we just listened to was a couple of news reports about Mackenzie Lewick's disappearance and untimely death. I don't want to just speak about Mackenzie as a victim. I want to talk about who she was as a person. Just because someone took away her life does not mean that person gets to take away the impact she made on other people's lives. She was a person. She was a daughter. She was a friend. She was so much more than just a victim to her family and friends. So let's find out who Mackenzie Lewick was. Mackenzie was 23 years old and was actually from California, and she was a student studying at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City. After graduating from El Segundo High School in 2014, Mackenzie was studying kinesiology and pre-nursing at the university. So from what I can find about Mackenzie, she was an all-around amazingly fun girl. She apparently had this birthday party for her cat, which is absolutely hilarious, and I just love it, her cat Nova. It looks like she had actually gotten champagne and had some special cake made of cat food for the cat. Um, and it looks like as well that they ended up singing happy birthday to this cat, which is just amazing. They they wore pointy hats, threw confetti, and everyone sang off key while she unwrapped a toy for her cat. And I just think that is absolutely amazing. I mean, that is just so fun. I love that. Um, I You know, obviously I did not know Mackenzie, but I have a feeling that her and I would have gotten along because I am just as crazy. I would probably throw a birthday party for one of my animals. And I think that just shows she's really fun and caring and loving and just overall a really good person. Mackenzie was also extremely active in her sorority, Alpha Chi Omega. Mackenzie was the all-American college girl. I mean, part of a sorority, studying to be a nurse. I mean, that's the American dream right there. So let's go ahead and move on to the timeline of events that led up to Mackenzie's disappearance. On Monday, June 17th, approximately 1.30 a.m., she had arrived back to Salt Lake City from attending a family funeral in California. She texted her parents around 1 a.m. saying that her plane landed safely at the Salt Lake International Airport. It took Mackenzie about 30 minutes to get off of the plane and actually go to the baggage claim. At 2.09 a.m., we actually see Mackenzie on airport security at the baggage claim picking up her um, luggage, obviously. At 2.40 a.m. on Monday, Mackenzie actually gets into a lift that she had ordered. At about 3 a.m., 
she is seen for the last time when the Lyft driver drops her off at Hatch Park, which is 50 Center Street, North Salt Lake, Utah. Who she was with at the time is unknown. Obviously, the Lyft driver did not see anything. Um, Thursday, June 20th, three days afterwards, the family finally notifies the police that Mackenzie had not been heard from since Sunday night or Monday morning, whatever you want to call it, time-wise. Time Mackenzie had not been in communication with anyone since returning to Utah. Her family and friends found out she missed her midterms at the University of Utah and said that that is just completely unlike her. She was very serious about her studies. Her friends visited her apartment and found absolutely no sign that Mackenzie or her luggage had returned to the apartment. So at that point, she is actually reported missing to the Salt Lake City Police Department. So from Friday, June 21st to the 22nd, Mackenzie's friends and family start spreading the word of her disappearance. They begin handing out flyers and posting pictures, asking people to contact them if they had seen her at all. Um, and actually, on the 22nd, which I find this kind of interesting, um, on June 22nd, the police said that they did not suspect anything malicious had happened to Mackenzie at this point. They did not suspect any foul play in her disappearance, and they had said that there's no indication that in any way she was in danger. So, okay, let's hold up for a second. So you have a 23-year-old college student who is typically very active on social media and is always texting her friends and family not texting her friends and family and not being online active on any sort of social media platform. That's really suspicious. And I think in this day and age, we need to look at as a more serious thing, especially when we know like that. I mean, we're basically glued to our phones in this day and age. I mean, if I'm not online every couple minutes, I mean, you start having like a panic attack. Yet somehow the police did not see an issue with this. Which, like I said again, in this day and age, if you have somebody coming to you saying that, hey, our family member hasn't been heard from and is not online and has not reached out to communicate with us in a couple days, especially a young person who's consistently on their phone, a red flag needs to be drawn immediately. Anyway, let's go ahead and get back to the story. So at this point, you know, it's June 21st, 22nd. They're trying to share her disappearance with everyone, trying to get the news out there. I know I saw tons of tweets online about her disappearance. Um, it was all over Twitter, and I remember people talking about the fact the police were not taking her disappearance seriously. So anyway, they make a you know announcement saying that they did not believe she was in danger and um, that there was no foul play with her disappearance. So on Sunday, June 23rd, Mackenzie missed a flight back to California to attend a friend's wedding. Yet again, family and friends say this is nothing like her. This is not something Mackenzie would do. She does not skip out on her commitments, especially a friend's wedding. I mean, that's a pretty big thing to just kind of ditch. And if she has no track record of being flighty like that, something is obviously wrong. So finally, by Monday, June 24th, the police are finally concerned and they release a message pleading with people to call and report if they had seen Mackenzie at all. They were pleading for anyone who had last saw Mackenzie to contact them. 
At this point, investigators did not know yet if Mackenzie was in trouble or trying not to be found. At least they showed some concern, so that was good on their part. It was also reported that the Lyft driver, the university, and her friends and family were all cooperating with investigators at this point, which that's good. I understand what they're trying to say with this statement. They're obviously trying to make a point that none of the family members, not the university, nor the Lyft driver were under any sort of suspicious circumstance at this point. They were all cooperating and doing their part to find Mackenzie. On June 25th, the police released the last known footage of Mackenzie rolling her suitcase from the baggage claim. They did this hoping someone would remember seeing her and call if they had seen something suspicious. Okay, so on Wednesday, June 26th, the police completed a search of a home related to Mackenzie's disappearance. They began to search the Salt Lake City house on the northwest side. Police left the scene with multiple bags and boxes of evidence, including human tissue. The police declare that the owner of the home is indeed a person of interest in her disappearance, and the investigators also mention that the investigation was digital and forensic. So the gathering of evidence had begun, and we'll touch on this a little bit later, but I find it super interesting they mention that there is also a digital investigation going on as well. I can only infer that maybe that is how the police figured out that Mackenzie was connected to this person of interest, and they most likely got the contact number from her phone records and then found where this person had lived and obviously executed a search warrant and found quite a few things. Yet again, we'll touch on that a little bit later as far as the communication between the person of interest and Mackenzie. Something important to also note, the suspect gave away a mattress online around the same time that Mackenzie had disappeared, and at that point, the police were like, yeah, we need to take a look at this mattress. Whether or not they ever found it, I have not seen any current police reports or any sort of notification from the news media saying that they have found this mattress. So I'm not sure if they did get it or if they didn't get it or, you know, what happened, but obviously there's a lot more evidence going on than just that mattress. So the police actually searched this home from the 26th through the 27th. Again, I saw pictures on Twitter, actually. I don't know if they were from a news source. I don't really remember. I just remember seeing the pictures of the entire house, you know, surrounded by police vehicles with evidence vans and people coming in and out. A lot of people were, you know, retweeting this because obviously this is a developing story at that point. By Friday, June 28th, at 9.20 a.m., the police arrest the person of interest, Ayula Adisa Ajayi, who was 31 at the time, at the apartment complex in West Temple for investigation of aggravated murder, aggravated kidnapping, desecration of a human body, and obstruction of justice in connection with Lewick's disappearance. We will talk more about the suspect, but I want to continue on with the circle of events. On Monday, July 1st, friends and family and strangers of Mackenzie gathered to celebrate her life. There was a vigil held at the university in Salt Lake City. And then lastly, on Friday, July 5th, police announced that they had recovered Mackenzie's body. It was found in Logan Canyon. 
The Salt Lake City Police said he personally called McKenzie's family to let them know on Friday. You know, at this point, they have not released anything as far as how they found her body. I mean, I don't know if Ayula actually told them where her body was or if they happened upon it or if someone else happened upon it. They did not say someone else found it first and then called it in. So, you know, we can assume that Ayula told them where it was. But, you know, obviously that's not fact. That's just me guessing. They also have not released a cause of death as of July 7th, and whether or not her body was found whole or in pieces, we don't know any of that information yet. All we know is that Ayula was found to have human remains, or human charred remains, in his backyard, in addition to charred items of Mackenzie's. So that's pretty damning evidence, if you ask me. So, I don't know if I touched on this yet, but... Something kind of interesting. His neighbors actually told authorities that he was burning items with gasoline in his backyard on June 17th and 18th. Once police actually dug up this area where he was burning stuff, that's where the police found the charred items. So obviously he was burning either some of Mackenzie's body or tissue and items on the 17th and 18th. Investigators obviously reported that her body most likely had been burned. Um, You know, in finding the human tissue, they were able to complete a DNA testing on it that matched tissue to Mackenzie. So the investigators have not disclosed the nature of the relationship yet between the two of them. And they really have not released either how they met and how she was killed. So like I said, we don't have a cause of death yet. Let's go ahead and talk about who the this guy is. So per his arrest records, Ayula Adisa Ajayi, and I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. And to be honest, I don't really care because he's kind of a piece of trash. So he's 31 at the time, and he's actually from Nigeria. So he reportedly is a former U.S. Army information technology specialist, and he's also worked or has claimed to work for the IT departments at Dell Goldman Sachs, Microsoft, and Comcast. And I believe that information's actually from his LinkedIn profile that has now been taken down. He claims to have been a graduate of Utah State University, incidentally, where McKenzie was attending, and apparently had a military career. The U.S. officials actually claimed he did not complete the required recruitment process, so he actually never served. So obviously, he lied on his LinkedIn profile about that. He also claimed to have graduated from Utah State. However, the Utah State has actually said that he attended college there on and off, but never actually received a degree. So he lied about that as well. Pretty sure it's safe to assume that he lied about working at Dell, Goldman Sachs, Microsoft, and Comcast, because those are some pretty elite companies and kind of hard to get into. So my guess is this guy was just full of And a couple of private investigators have actually looked into him and has claimed that he has no past criminal record, but has had some interesting allegations against him and a very questionable past. Like I said, No criminal history, but in 2014, he was a suspect in a rape investigation. The investigation was dropped, and the woman actually decided not to press charges. So, obviously, we don't really know what happened there. 
So his estranged wife, Tanisha, actually accused him of domestic abuse and violence. She says that she wants to testify in court against him in Mackenzie's case. Even a friend of his said that he displayed a lot of anger issues, and there's a lot about his anger issues online. He also apparently would rent out his home to Airbnb customers and would become irate if people moved any of the furniture in a way he did not like. So he was basically like a switch. You never really knew what was going to set him off, and otherwise he was completely pleasant. Something that is also extremely interesting is that Ayula wrote a book that is actually available on Amazon. I'm not sure if it still is at this point on July 7th. However, the Amazon biography page reads that he was born and raised in Africa, which is true. He has been a salesman, an entrepreneur, and a writer. He has survived a tyrannical dictatorship, escaped a real-life crime, traveled internationally, excelled professionally in several industries, and is currently creating a multi-platform advertising campaign for his debut novel, Forge Identity. So this appears to fit with some of his life. You know, obviously we cannot corroborate it, but anyway, the, the title of the novel is Forge Identity. And the overall gist of the book is, you know, I'm just going to go ahead and read it. So the book begins with a paragraph called The Day of the Fire. Hmm. Now that's interesting, because if I remember right, Mackenzie's items and some of Mackenzie's skin and tissue was burnt. So I'm just going to read a snippet of part of the chapter one. So the bright blue crisp morning sky made smoke from the burning car tire around the man's arms and torso look even darker, thicker, and more noxious. So the chapter then speaks and goes into detail about that experience from the point of view of a 15-year-old named Ezekiel and describes the burning of a neighbor in detail, including the sight and smells. Yikes. I know we're getting into kind of dangerous territory here just by saying that, hey, you know, this guy wrote a book very similar to something he's accused of doing. And, uh, you know, at that point, we can't just say that everyone who writes murder mystery novels and different stories or whatnot are always guilty of these crimes. Um, you know, otherwise, like Stephen King would be in a buttload of trouble. Um, so, yeah, I don't want to play the thought police here. Not my job. I just feel it's my job professionally to inform people of the facts here. One final interesting tidbit about Ayula is that a private contractor actually came forward claiming that Ayula had approached him with a very unusual request. So the contractor's name is Brian Wolf, and he was actually interviewed by one of the local news stations. He claimed that he was approached in April and asked how he could put a hidden room in his basement with a secret door to the hidden room and for it to be soundproof with a fingerprint lock and high hanging hooks on the concrete walls. So that is super suspicious. I mean, who am I? That is crazy, though. So he claimed that Ayula had told him that he wanted to hide alcohol from his Mormon girlfriend. And as soon as he said he wanted the hooks above head height, Brian, the contractor, was like, why do you need big hooks up there? And then he told them, Ayula had said that he wanted to hang a wine rack. 
And he, and then at that point, Brian had apparently said, well, I can hang a wine rack and make it look a lot nicer than these big gaudy hooks. So then Brian Wolf was obviously quoted saying that I've been doing construction my whole life, pretty much. I have never had anyone ask me anything like this. That's what struck me as odd for somebody to be out in the open and ask for weird stuff like that. Wolf said then he showed up and started taking measurements out of the basement, but left speechless and creeped out. Wolf also had claimed that Ayula had wanted it done really fast and was adamant about getting it done. He said that money was no object and he needed to get it done before his girlfriend came to town. So Brian Wolf actually had some text messages that he gave to the news source and showed it to them at that point. But obviously, he did not complete the job. He had said about 30 minutes in the house, he knew he wasn't going to complete it. So he had said, when me and my nephew left, we got in the truck, I looked at him and I was like, that was weird, right? And he's like, yeah, that was hella weird. That's a quote, by the way. And he was like, we're not doing this job, right? And I was like, hell no, we're not. Again, quoted. I cannot be more clear here. What the actual If that is not a giant, glowing, shining, alarming, bright red flag, I don't know what is. So, yeah, this guy is obviously severely screwed up in the head. I mean, for the love of God, he wants giant, like, meat hooks hanging from the ceiling above head height. What in God's name are you going to be doing down there? You're going to claim you're going to hang a wine rack? From a giant metal hook that they basically hang cattle corpses on? I mean, what the actual... Okay, obviously I'm getting upset here, so I'm going to dial back a little bit. Let's talk about the fact that we really don't know yet how Ayula and Mackenzie knew each other. So the police have actually theorized that Lewick rode the lift to Hatch Park early in the morning of June 17th. So at that point, the Lyft driver said she met an unidentified man there, put her bag in his car, and left with him. So both Mackenzie and Ayula's phones were in Hatch Park that day, and he is also the last person in contact with her. So again, that's how I theorized that the police figured out who this guy was is through the phone records, because both their phones were pinging in the exact same location in Hatch Park at the same time. That is super damning. So those were her last known whereabouts before her phone stopped receiving any data. So like I said, records show that he was the last person to have contact with Mackenzie. And apparently, even though they had these records, Ayula claimed in an interview with detectives that he denied having any contact with her. He also told authorities he did not know what Mackenzie looked like and had not seen any photos of her online, despite having at least one photo of her in his possession. I mean, people are so dumb in this day and age, they obviously do not realize how technology works. They are able to open your phone if they have a search warrant and look to see what is available. And if you have a picture of the person you're claiming to not know who they are on your phone, obviously they're going to know you're full of So Ayula does not win criminal of the year award. He wins stupidest criminal of the year award. So congratulations, you played yourself.
And one of the most heartbreaking things about this is the fact that her friends and family knew something was wrong immediately and the police did not feel that she was in any sort of imminent danger. It's pretty apparent that she died almost, I don't want to say immediately, but very close to the time because he was found burning things on the 17th and 18th and she went missing on the 17th. So reasonable thinking lets us infer that she died within a short period of time of being with Ayula. So as I said, this is an ongoing investigation. Yes, Ayula has been brought in and arrested. However, no charges have been brought against him quite yet. He's only been arrested under those specific guidelines, um, like I had mentioned earlier. However, the prosecutors had requested for more time, and I could only imagine that's because they are looking for more investigation things. You know, they're trying to find out if he's responsible for anything else. They're trying to, you know, find the true gravity and graveness of this situation. You know, is Mackenzie his first victim? It makes me wonder because if this guy was setting up basically a kill dungeon down in his basement that he wanted soundproof and only he could get in. Um, I mean, obviously, that is super concerning because who knows whether or not you know, obviously, a madman would request something along the lines of that, not someone sane, normal, who just kills, you know, out of the heat of the moment, like a manslaughter type thing or second degree murder just in the, you know, the heat of the moment. This guy was methodical and planning for a long time, obviously. There's no denying that. In April, he requested this soundproof room. So, okay. Anyway, my point is that there is a lot more to the story that we do not know yet. And I will try to keep you guys posted as much as I can. You know, like I said, with the Brent Christensen case, if I found anything out, I would share it with you guys. So expect an update eventually. You know, I am dying to know what's going to happen if he's going to plead guilty, not guilty, you know, whatever. So definitely, definitely, definitely stay tuned. At this point in the podcast, I want to just extend my deepest condolences to Mackenzie's friends and family because obviously they have lost just a beautiful soul and it's just heartbreaking to know that her life was taken away from her at such a young age. And I want to apologize for the stupid reporters out there who tried to start a smear campaign in her name where they tried to claim that she was looking for a sugar daddy and all these crazy things. And you know what? Victim blaming is not something we should be doing in this day and age. You know, we're, we are bordering on some very serious issues because obviously it's not Mackenzie's fault she was murdered. And we don't even know the true details of how these two people met each other. So for us to start inferring things such as that, you know, putting the victim in the blame chair, I mean, that that's that's bordering on some dangerous grounds. And there was a whole situation with a um, men's news station or something along the lines of that. Um, you know, you can Google the situation. And um, this reporter actually ended up getting fired because he went on to her social media and apparently had found something that she was looking for a sugar daddy and all this stuff. However, this news station came out and said that they, you know, obviously apologized to the victim's family and 
they had fired this specific reporter who had created this smear campaign against her. Because obviously, it's not funny. I mean, it was only a couple days after Mackenzie had been missing and this douchebag posted this article. So I'm pretty sure he's one of the most hated people in the United States right now. So again, congratulations, you played yourself. Like I said, I am just so sorry to the family because nobody deserves to go through this. You know, we can't even imagine what Mackenzie went through. And I just pray that you guys get the justice you deserve in Mackenzie's honor. Well, that about wraps it up for tonight, guys. This was quite the doozy. And we are just at the iceberg of this case, I think. I mean, I think this dives down way deeper than any any of us truly understand. I will try to keep you guys updated if I can, and I guess we'll just wait and see what happens. Thank you guys so much for joining me again this evening. Stay tuned for more information. I'm Melissa Lee, and this has been Mysteriously Morbid. Mysteriously Morbid is a self-produced podcast. Like and follow Mysteriously Morbid on Facebook at Mysteriously Morbid Podcast. Follow us on Instagram at Mysteriously Morbid underscore pod. Follow us on Twitter at MYS underscore Morbid Pod. You can listen to Mysteriously Morbid on any podcast platform, including iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. 